I want to highly recommend that you log into uh, Pastor Isaac's uh, uh, overview uh, yesterday and this morning the same. And when I heard it this morning, I was really, really wonderfully blessed by it as well because I, I, I know the book. But as I heard Pastor Isaac did an overview, my recommendation is hear that as well and hear what I have to say. The difference between his approach and my approach is this. His is more structural, more practical. Mine is more theological. So mine is heavy-duty stuff. Huh? So if you combine the two, then you get a very comprehensive picture of the book of Zechariah. All right? So structural, practical, and highly theological, what I'm going to do today. It's like a beach ball. If you look at a beach ball, from one angle, you see different colors, right? Red, blue, white, black, yellow. And then you go to another side, and you look at the beach ball. This time it's purple, uh, orange, green, etc. But it's the same beach ball. So, I'm so glad that from now onwards, for eight weekends, we're going to have two speakers speaking from one passage, different perspective of the same beach ball. Highly recommend you to hear Pastor Isaac. That guy can really preach, you know. That guy can really, really preach. In fact, I think he preaches better than me. I'm not threatened, I'm not threatened. In fact, I'm very proud that my spiritual sons can do better than their spiritual father. Amen? I'm very proud. They speak so well for the church, for the future of our church. They speak so well, they are, they are smart, and, and they are so clear in the communication style. So, uh, why Zechariah? Because of the books that we have been doing this year. We started with Haggai, remember? in January, before the MCO, because Haggai and Zechariah were both contemporaries and they were tasked in the rebuilding of the temple. And Ezra came, and we did Ezra, also tasked in the spiritual uh, uh, encouragement of the people to build the temple, and then Nehemiah to build the wall. So the whole year, and we will do this, Zechariah, until the end of November, it's all about rebuilding the temple and the wall. In fact, both Zechariah and Haggai were contemporaries. So if you read Haggai chapter 2, verse 10, you notice that Haggai actually prophesied for only three months. And after that, he disappeared. Don't know why. Could be he's not well, or could be he just disappeared. You know what I mean? And Zechariah came into the prophecy, their contemporaries, at the second month of Haggai's prophecy, and then took over. So that's what happened. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of their... Now, it's very important, that very unique as well, that both Haggai and Zechariah's prophecies were all dated. That's why we know exactly when they give this prophecy, when they give that prophecy. So Haggai 
This is the third, uh, the, 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 the third month, ninth month in the second year of Darius. And then Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1, in the eighth month of the second year. In other words, at the overlap of one month. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. They overlap by one month. In fact, in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, just to let you know they're contemporaries, both of them were mentioned. Both of them were mentioned in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. So both of them were there. But what I found very interesting in this verse, in Ezra chapter 6, 14, is the, what continued. They finished building the temple according to the command of God of Israel. So the fact that Haggai the prophet, Zechariah, took over together with the first batch of Israelites, they went back from Babylon, they all went back to build the temple according to who? The command of the God of Israel. It was a command of the God of Israel. But what is very interesting, it is the command of the God of Israel, but the execution was a decrease of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. In other words, God is in control. But he executes his plan through the affairs of kings, through governments, so people ask me, what do you think, pastor, of the Sabah election? Huh? God is in control. God is still in control. But how he executes it, we don't know. We don't know. So when God does something, it is not outside his plan. It is his plan. And we don't know the answer. We don't know the end from the result. God knows. So it's the same. It's the same here. Why the children of Israel was in captivity for 70 years? Why they went back at that time? Why Cyrus came? We don't know. But we do know from this verse that they went back in accordance with the command of God according to the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. In fact, I wanted to show this picture to you a long time ago, but I know I got a second chance to show it, and this picture of what you call the Cyrus Cylinder. You see, archaeologically, it has been proven, all right, something wrong uh, with, with it. Okay, the Cyrus Cylinder. Archaeologically, they found this Cyrus Cylinder, which proves that the Bible is actually a historical book. The Bible is a history book. That when, this, when they deciphered the writings on the cylinder, it tells, and find this cylinder is found in the British Museum. Huh? They found that exactly what the Bible wrote is written in the writings of this Cyrus cylinder that tells of the exploits of King Cyrus, but also tells of how he allowed the exiles to go back to rebuild their temple. Isn't it amazing that all this written in the Bible? is now proven historically by 
history. In other words, it tells me simply this. Whatever happens in the world today, and I'm going to lead you that direction in the book of Zechariah, is all in accordance with God's prophetic timeline. Whether it be global or whether it be national, God is still in control. I thought the best way to transit between what happened beginning of the year when we did Haggai and now in September, it's almost a space of about seven to eight months, is now to recap by contrasting Haggai and Zechariah as a form of revision as well, and also to take you now into the book of Zechariah so that you refresh our memory. Because in between, we did Nehemiah. It was awesome. Now, so let me do a table and compare between Haggai and Zechariah as a form of revision and also as a platform to launch into the book of Zechariah. I told you earlier, Haggai prophesied one month overlap, three months earlier than Zechariah. So Zechariah prophesied later. The whole purpose of both Haggai and Zechariah, when they prophesied, was to rebuild the temple, encourage the people, rebuild the temple. All right? So it's the same purpose. And it's very interesting that in that first return from Babylon to out of 15 people that came back from Babylon were priests. That's why when you see the list of the names, these are the names of the Levites. Remember? These are the names of the priests. Why? Two out of 15 that came back were priests or Levites. Why? Because... When they came back for the first time, it was not because Israel was such a fertile country. Uh, it was not. It was because it was to rebuild the temple under the command of God. That's why they came. But a very stark contrast, and it's very, very important, uh, that Haggai was a prophet. The prophet Haggai. Zechariah was not only a prophet, but a priest. Haggai was not a priest. Why is this important? If I were you, I'd note that. Because this is absolutely key. This is why what my is very theological to the book of Zechariah. So Zechariah is a prophet. Everybody say prophet and priest. One more time. Prophet and priest. All right, very rare combination, a prophet and a priest at the same time, you know, and I'll tell you why this is very important. Haggai, Haggai only two chapters, uh, one, uh, two chapters is right, Zechariah 14 chapters. Uh. Now, so because it's only two chapters, they prophesied only three months, very short. Zechariah, 14 chapters, prophesied over several years. But the amazing thing of Zechariah is that it's very clearly demarcated into two distinct halves. Chapter 1 to chapter 8 is all done in a space of two years. I told you it's very dated. Huh? That's how I know it's two years, because in chapter 8, in the what, what, the date. So we know that from chapter 1 to chapter 8 of Zechariah is a very young Zechariah that prophesied over a period of two years. And then somehow, Zechariah disappeared. Don't know how many years. And came back again 
and prophesied again from chapter 9 to chapter 14, this time an older Zechariah, but different kind of prophecy. So, if you divide Zechariah into the prophecies, very clearly demarcated, chapter 1 to chapter 8, Zechariah continued the prophecy of Haggai to prophesy regarding the building of the temple period at that time. Eight chapters. And then he disappeared. Later on, he came back older Zechariah, but from chapter 9 to chapter 14, he prophesied on the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Wow. So what we're going to do in SIBKL is that we are only going to study the first eight chapters this year because it's a continuation of the theme for this year, right? But for 2021, next year, we're going to sambung with chapter 9 to chapter 14 of Zechariah and there's a very good reason why we don't do that this year, but next year, and I will tell you in just 30 seconds' time. Haggai is prophetic. And this is the reason why we're going to do the second half of Zechariah next year. Because Zechariah's prophecy is not only prophetic, but it is also apocalyptic and eschatological. That's why you notice that in the second half of Zechariah and the first half, a lot of visions, a lot of dreams, a lot of pictures, a lot of symbols. Why? Because he is prophesying something. That's how Zechariah prophesied, you know, especially in the future. Can I ask you, I'm going to ask you now, those of you in the, in, on, at home as well as well as here, shout out if you know the answer. Tell me another book in the Bible where angels come, where a lot of symbols, where a lot of visions. Tell me another book in the Bible that is also apocalyptic, like the second half of Zechariah. Which book is it? Say again. No. Ezekiel true, but I was looking for one answer. Daniel and Revelations. Revelations. And this is the reason why we are doing the second half of Zechariah next year, because next year we'll do the book of Revelations. Why? Why? And I'm just giving you a head start. Because of what's happening in the world. What's happening in the Wabak COVID? What's happening globally? We don't know what's going to happen in, in, the, in November when the US election comes. We don't know what's going to happen, the repercussions of the, of the economic fallout. We don't know. But something tells me that next year, we're going to do what we call the end time epistles, including revelations. And that's why we are 
doing the second half of Zechariah next year. But this year, we focus on Zechariah chapter 1 to chapter 8. Let me now give you the outline of the book, and then I will share with you two major developments in the book of Zechariah, which is very, very, very important. Huh? So it's very theological, but you must understand. I hope you understand, and I try my very best to keep it as simple as possible. And then we will close with the practical applications of this book. So let me now just give you a very simple outline of the book, all right? And it's this. It's divided into six divisions, the book of Zechariah. All right. In 2020, we will do chapter 1 to chapter 8. All right. So we do chapter 1 to chapter 8. So there are four divisions that we will do in the next eight weekends. All right. This will take us right until the end of November, and then we will prepare for Christmas in December. So chapter 1 to chapter 1. Uh, to verse 6, all right, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 6, actually. Verse 1 to verse 6 is the call to repentance next week, all right, Pastor Fergus and, and uh, Aoyong Waiyan, Pastor Aoyong Waiyan will do it, all right, and then we'll do, now this is very important, eight visions. There are altogether eight visions in the book of Zechariah. It's not easy to interpret, but it's all related to Israel at that time. Eh? The eight visions are the four horsemen among the myrtle trees, four horns and four craftsmen of blacksmith, a man with a measuring line, Joshua the high priest, change of clothes, the golden lampstand and two olive trees, flying scroll, 30 feet by 15 feet, it's like Aladdin flying on the whole of uh, Nermin. And why the flying scroll? We'll let you know later on. The woman in a basket and four chariots. Again, that's the reason why I told you it reminds us of revelations. It will set the stage. It will set the stage for next yeah. So whatever we teach now as we come to the close of our preaching series for this year, it will set the stage for 2021. Believe me, you really don't want to miss it. Huh? You really don't want to miss it. Chapter 6, verse 9 to 15 is very, 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 very important. And I will dwell on this a short while. And this has a lot to do with the major transitions prophetically and spiritually in God's timeline. And then it ends the first half with fasting and feasting because the children of Israel now come to, to Zechariah. Hey, the temple is finished already. Huh? Do, we, do you want us to moan anymore or not? Do you want us to weep anymore or not? Because they weep, they kept weeping, right? I want to go back to the temple. But now, the temple is over. Can we stop fasting and start feasting? The Sabbath election is over. Can we stop praying? No way. La. No way. La. Okay. And Zechariah gives the reason why. Very, very relevant to us. Huh? All right, and that's how we will close the study of Zechariah this year. And next year, we will then deal with Zechariah chapter 9 to chapter 11 on the first coming of Christ and Zechariah chapter 12 to 14 
on the second coming of Christ. And with this, can I just say something to you? In the book of Zechariah, it's very, very interesting because it is the most messianic book in the entire Old Testament. It's very unique. In other words, there are more prophecies in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament regarding the first and second coming of Christ than any other book in the Old Testament. In fact, what we counted, there are at least eight prophecies regarding the first and second coming of Christ, three regarding the first coming, five regarding the second coming of Christ. What are the prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ? Very, very detailed. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. See your king. This is spoken 500 years BC, you know. See your king, the Messiah, comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it's true. So Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Fulfilled. What other prophecies regarding the first coming of Messiah was fulfilled? Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 to verse 13. It's regarding the betrayal of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Prophesied here. And so they paid me 30 pieces of silver, the betrayer, and all prophesied by Zechariah. Can you imagine? 500 years before it actually took place. That's why it's so, so important. I'll tell you what the implications are. And then the third prophecy regarding the first uh, uh, coming of Messiah is not only was prophesied accurately that Jesus was betrayed with 30 pieces of silver, but also what happened to the 30 pieces of silver, he says here, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they prized me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw it at them in the house. In other words, Judas took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it back at the temple. Accurately prophesied, man, 500 years ago. But here's my point. There are five other prophecies still uh, yet to be fulfilled regarding the second coming. Do you not think that every one of these five will be fulfilled? It gives encouragement to me. That what we study in the book of Zechariah will have tremendous implications to the second coming of the Lord. And that's the reason why we are doing Zechariah and the end time appeals next year. Because as we see the world events, I'm going to close with that in a short while, huh? that what we are studying is really prophetic and it will come to pass in order that we prepare ourselves. It may not take place next year, two years ago, to come, but never mind. It is coming soon. And it is silly of us not to understand the signs of the times. Understand? Um, there's no prophet gloom and doom, but we're just studying the word of God to prepare us mentally, spiritually, as well as emotionally. Two major developments. It's very important. This is where I now go very theological, and I pray and hope that you understand me. That's why you have to pay very close attention to what I'm going to say. The first major development found in the book of Zechariah is this. From now onwards, from the prophecy and the book of Zechariah, from that period onwards, priests will now replace prophets 
as leaders and the mouthpiece of God to the people. For the first 500 years, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, spoke. Next 500 years, prophets came. The next 500 years, kings came. But now, the last 500 years before the coming of the Messiah, the office of the priest takes over. Because after Zechariah comes Malachi, and 400 years of silence, 400 years is 10 generations and all. So the children of Israel, listen to who? No prophets, man? The priests. That's why when Jesus Christ came, who were the leaders of Israel? Ananias, Caiaphas, the priests, and he transits there. But what I'm going to share with you next is even more startling. Priests will now be crowned king. Stranger. That's why I told you when we come to Zechariah chapter 6, it is absolutely critical in our understanding of God's prophetic timeline, not only for Israel, but also for us as New Testament believers. That somehow in Zechariah chapter 6, it was not Zerubbabel who was crowned. It should be Zerubbabel, right? Why? Because Zerubbabel comes from the royal line of David. Ma. Zerubbabel, the governor who was actually there, is actually the great-grandson of King Jehoiakim, the last king of Israel. But no, when Zechariah was asked to make the crown, so Zechariah thought he were crowning Zerubbabel. But God said, no, don't crown Zerubbabel, crown Joshua. What? Why? For the first time in the history of God's prophetic timeline, the office of the priest and the king became one. For the first time, translated there, Zechariah chapter 6. Why is this important? It sets the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ as the king of kings and our high priest. And it also sets the stage for now New Testament believers, you and I, to become the royal priesthood. Why do you think in Peter chapter 1, verse 9 to, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, we are called the royal priesthood? Have you wondered why? Why royal, huh? Priest is priest, right? No. As New Testament believers, we are called the royal priesthood. Where does it all begin? Here, lah. Zechariah chapter 6. When Zechariah crowned Joshua, the high priest, as the king, not Zerubbabel, because the time 
of the kings, patriarchs, prophets, kings, is over. And it therefore sets the stage for you and I to now function as the priests of God. I will explain more when we do Zechariah chapter 6 on the 7th of November. So this is my summary. Therefore, we as Christians, that's very important, believe me, this is a very significant transition, all right, in the book of Zechariah, of all the books, and who else is better qualified to transit than Zechariah, who, remember, is a prophet and a priest. He is both a prophet and a priest. So that's the reason why he is qualified to now crown the high priest because he himself is the priest. So that you and I, as New Testament believers, can now move into the office of the priest. Our high priest is Jesus Christ, not under the Aaronic or Levitical order, but under the order of Melchizedek. I will explain a little bit more on 7th of November. And the implications of it is very important implications to you and to me as New Testament, New Covenant believers. And it all begins here. So as New Testament believers, we are royal priests now because Joshua is crowned. Ma. Not after the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek, and this is found in Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 7, and Melchizedek is himself is both the king of Salem and the high priest of Salem. And Jesus Christ comes after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's very confusing, but I will share with you on the 7th of November, with Jesus Christ, our high priest, who is today making intercession for us in the heavenly throne. You and I are the priests. So what is the implication? We pray, Lord. We intercede for our family, for our nation. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest, all right? the King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, what I've shared with you is also confirmed where else? Revelations. Revelations chapter 1, verse 6. Scripture is a very consistent one. Huh? Very consistent one. Huh? Honestly, if you look at it, it's no, not by accident. One. Revelation 1, verse 6 says, To him, that's how Revelations begin who loves and has freed us to Jesus, who has loved and freed us from our sins by his blood, he has now made us, by the finished work of the cross, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a kingdom and a priest, to serve his, father, his God and Father, to him be glory, power forever and forever. Amen. So you and I, spiritually, as New Testament believers, are called to function in the role of priest of the Most High God. Wow! And that's an awesome, awesome responsibility, you understand? And I will share with you a bit more in probably um, over a month's time. Let me close. Let me close by giving you four practical applications of this book. Two personal, two global. What are the personal ones? Is this. 
it tells me that no matter what happened to the children of Israel, how they suffered, how they were exiled for 70 years, and God in His divine plan, He made use of Cyrus in a Cyrus cylinder, commanded, executed, implemented it, brought the children of Israel back to their homeland, rebuilt the temple, sent in Zechariah, Haggai, Ezra, Nehemiah, so that His divine timeline can be fulfilled. It gives me tremendous comfort. It tells me that Zechariah is a message of hope and encouragement, that nothing happens by accident, but everything will move to a convergence in God's divine timeline. It's the same for you and I. Nothing, not even a Sabah election result happens by accident. God is in control, my friend. God is in control. All we need to do is don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Look to God, understand? And, and, and the key verse in the whole of Zechariah, we all know this by heart. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Come on, read this with me. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Are you ready, church? Are you ready here, those physically here and those of you at home? Read this with me loud because we will keep repeating it again and again. No matter what happens, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because God is in control, understand? God is sovereign. Come, read this with me, church. Read this with me. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Are you ready? Read aloud. One, two, three. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He will fulfill God's timeline as then. Whatever happens to our nation, to the world, God is in control. It gives me tremendous encouragement. It gives me tremendous hope. The second practical application is our posture. So then what should be our posture as we go through the book of Zechariah in the next eight weeks? So even as we unpackage it with all the visions and all the things, one thing, I want to share this with you, my friend, those of you listening here or online from other churches as well. Return to the Lord. Return, don't run away from Him. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3 Come read this with me church Read this with me Read this with me Because again and again The refrain The reason why all of this happened Why I unpackaged this you Is so that you Will come back to God Big time Because with or without us Whatever it is History will come to a convergence So it is time for you and I To return to the Lord Come read this with me Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3 Here as well as at home Are you ready? Read out loud. Will you do that? Let's read scripture. Shall we do that? One, two, three. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Again and again, the Lord identifies himself. Jehovah, Saba, Oath, the Lord Almighty. And if God is with you, who can be against you? No matter what happens circumstantially, God is still in control. God is sovereign. And the desire of the Lord is not just a pure study, understand? It's that you and I, in obedience to the Word of God, return to Him and return back to Him big time. 
as we see the events of the world accelerating to a convergence. What are the global implications? There are two. Two global implications in the book of Zechariah. Number one, God has not forgotten nor forsaken His chosen people, Israel. The entire book of Zechariah is about Israel, the Jews. It's about the chosen people. Don't you ever think that God has forgotten Israel? He'll never forgotten, forget Israel. In the second half of the book of Zechariah, the word Jerusalem is mentioned 21 times. In the second half of the book of Zechariah, one word is mentioned again and again on that day, day, 18 times. It's very strange that the word day is never mentioned in the first eight chapters. And yet from chapter 9 onwards, on that day, what day? It's the day when the Lord takes over. No more the day of man. No more the day of the evil one. That day is the day of the Lord when He comes back and restores back everything back to normality and to the royal order again. On that day, 18 times. But more important, Israel. Zechariah chapter 12, key. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. There will be a big war. It's, a, it's the battle of Armageddon. It's all prophesied here. But on that day, I will pour out on the house of David and inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon me and the one they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for the firstborn. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great. Why? Because on that day when Jesus Christ comes back and land on the Mount of Olives will split from north to south, they will see Jesus. They will, walk, they will see the, 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 the prince on his hands and for the first time they recognize that they have crucified their Messiah. On that day, there'll be great repentance. But all Israel will be saved. Excites me, see. Excites me. And this is my last implication. World events are rapidly converging to a close. When the Abraham Accord was signed, when UAE and Bahrain, after so many years, recognized Israel, and there is rumors that several other Arab countries are following suit, what will happen is that it now sets the stage for the coming of the man of peace, the Antichrist. And it will also set the stage. And this is where the book of Revelations is key. 
for the fulfillment of Isaiah 19 prophecy. All of this will take place. May not be in my lifetime. But I want to believe in your children's lifetime. And there's not very long to go. So my conclusion to you is this. When we do the book of Zechariah, let's study it diligently. Because it sets the stage for what is to come. The key thing is this, and I'll close with this. After Zechariah comes Malachi. And very interestingly, after Malachi, no more prophets. What was the message of Malachi? Same. Same. Return to me, and I will return to you. And I don't think they met. I don't think Zechariah met Malachi. I don't think so they met. But same God, you see, same spirit. That's why we do revelations again and again in the, in the letters of the seven churches, the same refrain. Hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hear, hear. Don't you understand? Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Return to me and I will return to you. Did they return? No. You read Malachi. They gave lame sick animals to God. They broke covenant with God. 400 years, God was silent. And my prayer to you and for me is this. Let's learn. Let's learn as you look at the book of Zechariah with all the visions and dreams and all the messianic, eschatological, apocalyptic prophecies. Let us take it to heart that this is a time in which God wants you and me to come back to Him again. Amen. Come back to Him again as we see the world events unfolding before our eyes. But let's take note that God is in control. What does it mean when we say God is in control? When we mean God is in control, that means God cares. When we say God is sovereign, it means God is in control. God cares. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Shall we do that? Let's pray, my friend. Let's pray. Oh, Ramanda Kata, da 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 those of you who are here and those of you at home I want to say this to you that when God gives a revelation when God says something we have to take it to heart my friend don't simply just trivialize it don't do that we have to obey we have to take it very seriously so no matter where you are today where you are spiritually I don't know where you stand before God don't have to wait. Don't have to wait. Come back to God big time. Return to me, the Lord says, and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. Maybe the reason why you are where you are today is because you've gone away from God. It's because maybe you've left the Lord, you've been disappointed one way or another. But I want to affirm you, He is still very much in control and He wants you to come back to Him because He still cares for you. 
why you want to run away from him? Oh, Ramanda Katarada Those of you who are here, I just want to pray with you and the home as well. If God has spoken to you in one way or another that you want prayer, will you please stand up with me? Stand up for me. Let me pray for you. That even as we begin to launch the book of Zechariah, not the study for the sake of studying it, but hear the word of God from the pulpit. Hear the word of God to you that you internalize it, you, 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 you personalize it, that you tell the Lord, Lord, yes. By standing, you say, God, I want to come back to you big time. I want to return back to you for my, not only me, my family. So those of you who are here, you stand, let me pray for you. Those of you at home, you just raise your hands. Because you are here physically, let me pray for you. By standing, you say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Yes, Lord, I want to respond to you. I want to walk with you. I want to return to you. Because this is what the Lord Almighty, the Sa- Jehovah Sabaoth says. Oh, Ramanda Karara Shandara, thank you so much. To those of you who are standing, no one looking around, those in the balcony as well, thank you. Show Ramanda Katara Shake it. Oh, Ramanda, people are still standing. I'm going to wait for a short one more. Oh, Ramanda Those of you at home, whether you're watching your TV room or your bedroom, you understand, you stand, if not, just raise your hands. By doing that, you're saying to God, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, it's not just a word, but a word that has been prophetic in its content. And it will be fulfilled. And may it be, Lord, that we will never trivialize it, never take you for granted. That's exactly what they did. Exactly what they did, Lord. And you, and you rebuked them. And may it be that we come back to you big time. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to pray for these dear people that are now standing in your presence in humility and brokenness before you. And those of you at home as well who is raising up your hands, I don't see, but God sees you, you know. By doing whatever you're doing is an act of brokenness and obedience to God. I want to pray for you and your family and the work of your hands. That once again, God will ignite the fire inside of you to love Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to honour Him for the rest of your days. For the rest of your days. Oh, Yes, Lord, we bless Your holy name this day. We bless Your holy name this day. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's all stand. Let's all stand and give honor to the Lord. Give honor to Jesus as we sing this song. Sing hallelujah for of Him and to Him and through Him are all things. Lord, to you be called the glory. That Lord, in the name of Jesus, every knee shall Every knee shall bow 
and every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father that whatever is happening in our nation right now Father is you are in control you know and it will turn out all right it will turn out well we trust you Lord we believe in you we believe in you I pray for everybody here as well and those at home may we live the rest of our days honoring you loving you Father Lord loving you knowing very well Father God that all things work out together for good to them who love you and to them who are called according to your purpose. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May the Lord make His face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards each and every one of you here and at home and always grant you shalom shalom in Jesus name I pray and all God's people say aloud come on let's give God a good time offering